Isn't God amazing? Wow. I feel unworthy standing up here this morning and encouraging you. Uh, I have such a great sense of how incredible God is and how much of a loving Father. I felt the Lord. My preparation for this morning's sermon, um, I felt the Lord just really um, speak to me about encouraging you as to how great and how good a father he is. And every little moment this morning has been in line with that. The prayer that we had this morning, um, I didn't share anything with the team. It's been quite profound. Uh, The way that Brian and the team ministered in song. And if I can encourage you this morning, please open your heart and choose to receive God's encouragement today. I'm I'm sensing that God's going to change your life today, not because of the songs we've sung or the word that is going to be spoken, but because of God's spirit here, and he truly wants to minister to you this morning. Please, won't you open your Bibles to Matthew 7? We've been uh, preaching a series on the rock. Uh, It's been the Sermon on the Mount, and it's been quite an incredible to teach and preach to you looking to break open and to, to teach and preach to you. Last week, Pierre preached from Matthew 6, and he spoke on the kingdom of heaven. He spoke primarily into uh, where are you living at the moment. There was the tension of the two ropes, the black and the red rope, the, the representing the two kingdoms, the kingdom of heaven and the kingdom of the earth. And how it's so important for us to make a decision as to where we want to live. And God has said that if we do not worry about the things of this earth, but if we focus on the kingdom of heaven, he will make sure that he provides for us. And I personally, I was so encouraged by that. So often we get focused in this red rope and we get, we get so caught up in the, in the worries and the anxieties of this world that's we don't live in freedom. And as Lucy ministered this morning, we, we have fear. Last week, I actually was, had that uh, illustration up here uh, last week. I actually saw myself bound up in that red rope. Oftentimes, we get bound up and we can't move. We're bound up by the kingdom of this earth and its worries and its concerns. But God is coming to strip that off us and he wants us to live in freedom. The title of my message today is Kingdom Citizens. And by the end of my sermon, I think the, the, the title will change to Kingdom Kids because I don't want to just speak to us as citizens of the kingdom. I want you to know that you are a child of God. And if you look at a kingdom, a kingdom has a king, and we know who our king is, King Jesus, God the Father. Every, king, every kingdom has a set of rules also. And we have that. God has provided it to us. And those rules are not meant to bring, uh, 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 they're not a killjoy, they're not meant to bring. These rules bring, we, we feel obliged to do what the Bible says. No, these rules bring life. Uh, when I was on campus many years ago, I heard a sermon and the guy who was preaching, he said that if we do not love the Lord, the law becomes, it doesn't become life to us. When we love Jesus, when we love God, and when we understand his love towards us, this becomes life. 
We want to live this. We want to live by the laws that we've been given. So here we, we, are, we are kingdom citizens. And today I want to speak to you about how should we be living as kingdom citizens. And we're going to read in Matthew 7 verse 1 to 12. Verse 1, judge not that you be not judged. For with the judgment you pronounce, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? Is the log in your own eye? You to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when there is the log in your own eye. You hypocrite, first take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. Do not give dogs what is holy, and do not throw your pearls before pigs, lest they trample them underfoot and, and turn to attack you. Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds, and the one who knocks, it will be opened. Or which one of you, if his son asked him for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a serpent? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father, who is in heaven, give good things to those who ask him? So, some Bibles use the word therefore. Whatever you wish that others would do, and in prepare them, for this is the law and the prophets. And in preparing for today's portion of Scripture, I battled a bit in the beginning because I was wondering how does this all fit together? The main portion of Scripture that uh, the team gave to me was verse 12, where it says, whatever you want others to do to you, you do to them. And I just thought, how does this fit in? How does this fit into us judging others? And then Jesus is speaking about pigs and dogs. And then he's talking about fish and stones and serpents and being a good father. And I really struggled a bit initially. But the more I read and the more I prayed, and, and I can see that in this portion, Jesus is speaking about relationship. This is the primary message that he is wanting to share with us. Our relationship with God and Jesus, and then our relationship with other people. In some of your Bibles, in verse 12, it might say the golden rule. He should treat others, that's the golden rule that, that Jesus is sharing with us, that we should treat others the way that we want them to treat us. And what I felt the Lord say to me is that I actually need to preach this message backwards. So I'm turning to the back of my notes and I'm gonna start with verse 12. And I'm gonna preach my way back to verse one. Um, I only felt the Lord share that with me last night and I already printed everything and my slides were done. So for me, that's, I had everything organized and I underlined everything, page numbers. So here we go backwards. Prophets, thee and law, there is this for them. Okay. I'm only joking. I'm only joking. Okay. I am going to preach backwards, but I'm going to read the verses and then, okay. Here we go. Verse 12. So therefore, whatever you prophets, this is not the fur to you, do also to them, for this is the law and the prophets. 
This is not the first time that Jesus has spoken about the law and the prophets. What does the law and the prophets represent? It represents the Old Testament. So that word that was shared when they had their gatherings, uh, let's say my Bible represents the scroll. They didn't have books, it was scrolls. That was the law and the prophets that they shared with the people. And Jesus is saying that the essence of everything, the essence of the Old Testament, the essence of what the prophets had to say and the law is caught up in what he says in verse 12. Whatever you wish others would do to you, do also to them. Isn't that quite profound? They were a a nation that would try their best to live the law of God. And Jesus is coming, and he is going to live. But there's a lot here, and I know there's a lot to read and to know and to live. But if I had to put it into, into one or two lines, he is saying that whatever you want others to do to you, you do to them. And we're going to break that open this morning because there's no ways that we can live that unless we understand how much God loves us and unless we know how good he is to us. Jesus came to fulfill the Old Testament. He came to fulfill those revelations that were spoken about, the predictions and giving interpretation to all of these moral principles that were men- mentioned in, um, in the scrolls. Jesus had a new version. Let's say that this was the Jewish uh, golden rule. He had a new version of the Jewish golden rule that summarized all that Christ required of us in relation to others. In just as I have loved you. Jesus said, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another just as I have loved you. You are also to love one another. In Matthew 22, verse 39 and 40, the the Pharisees came to Jesus and they said, Jesus, what is the greatest commandment? And he responded by saying that you would love the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul, your mind, your strength, and that you would love your neighbor as you love yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. Again, everything that was captured in those scrolls, Jesus was bringing life to it. And he was saying, your relationship with God and your relationship with people. The entrance into the kingdom of heaven is by a righteousness of the heart, not by a hypocritical or external legalism. There are a lot of rules that were listed there. And the Pharisees, they they pressed that on the people. The Pharisees brought Make people live according to the law, not by the life that Jesus brought. Such righteousness is possible only through Jesus' reign in your and my hearts. And when we read the Beatitudes in Matthew 5, this presupposes the type of life that we should live. If we take all of this and if it's put on our hearts and Jesus has come to redeem it and to make it life, then we will be meek. And we will be poor in spirit and we will be humble. And we will respond in ways as being the salt and light. Everything that we've preached up right until this point. It almost felt like for me that this portion of scripture that we're doing today encompasses the entire Sermon on the Mount. 
it refers back to that. If we look specifically at the golden rule, Jesus calls us to do as much good for others as we want others to do for us. But then you might ask the question, what about me? Who's going to do good to me? That's the selfish selves asking that question. How does Jesus answer this question? He refers back to, there's one little word in that verse 12, which is very important. It's the word so. And in some Bibles, it is therefore. That means in order for us to obey verse 12 and to have a full understanding of verse 12, we need to have a look at the portion that is just who are evil. No, verse 12, verse 11. It says, if you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your father who is in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? In order for us to obey verse 12, we need to understand verse 11. And verse 11 speaks about the good father. Jesus promises that whenever we ask our father in heaven, he will always respond with good in our lives. We first must understand that God will always do good for us. And therefore, we will devote ourselves to doing good to other people. How, do we, how can we obey this golden rule. It's not, it's not that easy to always do good to others. And you know also it doesn't say do not do that to others that you do not want them to do to you. Confucius actually said that. Let me read it to you. This is Confucius not do to others version of the scripture. What you do not want done to yourself do not do to others. Jesus is is speaking about the positive aspect of this, of this scripture. It's very easy for me not to kill someone. It's not difficult. It's very easy for me not to be horrible to someone. That's what Confucius is saying. Jesus is saying, do good in the way that you want others to do good to you. So think about this. What would you love someone to do for you? Just... just Grab that thought in your mind right at this very moment. Would you like someone to go and grab the gas heaters and to put them up next to you? What would you like someone to do? And don't make it just material. If someone had to come and pray for you and encourage you, do to others as you would want them to do to you. You respond first. Then that great thought, why don't you go and live in our lives? This is what Jesus That's taking the word of God and making it alive in our lives. This is what Jesus is saying. Jesus does not want to obey the golden rule by gritting our teeth and doing things out of obligation. It's like, okay, Jesus told me I have to do good to someone, so let me just get my good duty done for the day. Bless you, brother. No, that's not what Jesus is saying. He's also not saying that we should ignore our own needs um, so we can care for the needs of others. He wants us to obey by first trusting all of our needs to the Father in earnest prayer, resting in the fact that he is rejoicing to do us good with all of his heart and soul. If we can find rest knowing that God is a good Father and that we seek him in prayer, he will change our hearts 
We can, if you have a hard time, if you find verse, if you have a difficult time loving other people, if you find verse uh, 12 very difficult, then I encourage you to go and spend time in verse 11 and take that portion of scripture and pray it and allow the Lord to speak to you until your heart changes. Because when our heart changes, we are filled with joy, we're filled with peace, we are filled with just fullness. And there is no, there's nothing else that you want to do except to go and to share what God has done with you for other people. When you see that God will bring you great good, you will feel growing, you will feel growing peace and joy. Your heart will become more and more full. As your heart fills, you will start wanting to do good for others. This is how we obey the golden rule. I'm going to go back to the the portion of scripture prior to the golden rule, which is in my Bible entitled, Ask and it will be given. Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be asked. It will be opened. Who asks receives and the one who seeks finds. And to the one who knocks, it will be opened. Or which one of you, if his son asks him for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a serpent? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good things to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven, who is good, give good things to those who ask? We need God in our lives. And this portion for me, it speaks about prayer. We've looked at the Lord's Prayer in this, uh, in this sermon series. Again, Jesus is bringing the people back to an intimate relationship with the Father. We need God's help so that we don't idolize money. We need God's help so that we don't worry. We need God, God's help not to be self-righteous, uh, as is listed in the first little bit of the, portion, uh, of the scripture that I'm doing. We need God's help so that we do not inform our natural response and, be, uh, and act superior to them and judge them. Our natural response is to do that. Jesus is describing how God models the golden rule for us. How does God model that? He is a good father. He doesn't trick us or despise us in that portion I've just read. He, uh, Jesus uses the illustration of an earthly father who would give his earthly son good things. He is not going to trick or despise his child. Jesus says that God never tires of us. He says that we should never grow tired of asking because God never gets tired of hearing and answering. My youngest son, Joel, he's not here, so I'll use him as an illustration. He has an incredible ability to ask, seek, seek and knock. At times, he just, he doesn't stop. One of the things that he loves doing is when we go to a smoothie, is when we finished our exercise and that, he'll always ask me for a smoothie. Always. Dad, can we get a, a smoothie? Yeah. So, before we go to the gym, I say to him, Joel, we are not going to get a smoothie at the end of gym. Do you understand? He's like, yes, yes. So, virus brachis. At the end... He has his session. I think he just forgets about it. He says, Dad, 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 can I get a peanut butter bomb, please? Can I, can I get a smoothie? And I'm like, Joel, we've spoken about this. 
He is relentless. But it's just his personality. I'm actually quite excited for him because I can see God using him in an incredible way. When he sets his mind on something, he does not budge. And I'm trying to find the gold in that. No, he, he just has this incredible ability to, to not let go of something. That also. But I won't mention who it is. John Piper, he said the following, if you don't spend much time in prayer, it's almost proof positive that you don't know him. If you knew him, you'd ask. God wants us to ask him. Jesus said to the Samaritan woman at the well, if you knew who I was, you would have asked me. How often do we retract and we, we don't pursue God because maybe we feel bad? It's like I've I've asked God too much for this. And, and Jesus is not speaking about vain repetition, which he's dealt with uh, in a, another portion. God wants us to come to him. In your relationship with God, how, how much persistence and stamina do you feel you have? Do you feel that, that you give up too quickly? I feel like I do. I feel like I could press into God more and that I know would be benefit and, and ask him for things. Obviously, things that I know would be beneficial for me in the way that I live my life here. And uh, God gave us the ultimate gift. He gave us Jesus. He models the golden rule. He did good to us. He does good to us uh, in, in the fact that he gave us Jesus. When Jesus teaches all these laws, he speaks about the steadfastness and persistence. In the Amplified Version, if you read that portion, it says, ask and keep on asking. Seek and keep on seeking. Knock and keep on knocking. In the original Greek script, it's actually written in the present tense, which emphasizes continuous action. Isn't that amazing? Ask, keep on asking. Seek, keep on seeking. Knock, keep on knocking. Do we pursue Jesus in that sense? God in his wonderful wisdom has built the world in win the highest prize that only those who are diligent and who persevere win the highest prize. The person who is determined to achieve his God-given goal despite all obstacles will be the one who wins. Those who are faint-hearted and faltering whose minds are not made up about something will always not reach everything that God has them. And I don't mean this in a negative way. I'm trying to encourage you to, to pursue your God-given gifts and your God-given call in a way more than anything in your life. The Apostle Paul, listen to what he says in 2 Timothy 4, 7. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. In Galatians 6, 9, let us not grow weary while doing good, for in due season we shall reap if we do not lose heart. And if I think of the life of Paul, man, this guy had so many obstacles. He was beaten. He was put in obstacle that, that got shipwrecked. He experienced any kind of obstacle that, that we could ever face. Yet, he kept asking. He kept seeking. He kept knocking. He kept pursuing the Father. 
In whatever God tasks, in, in whatever tasks God has given to you, do not quit. Stay on course. And then my final portion, which is the, the beginning of the, the scripture. In my Bible, it says, judging others. If I had to put a, a heading there, I would say the golden rule gone wrong. Listen to what it says. Judge not that you be not judged. For with the judgment you pronounce, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when there's the log in your own eye? Take the speck out of your eye. First take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. Jesus is talking about a self-righteousness here. In Matthew 5, we spoke about true righteousness, where we looked at the Beatitudes and being salt and light. In Matthew 6, uh, last week, Pierre preached on, uh, he, he touched on false righteousness, which was things like making your presence known when you're praying or when you give so that others would see or when you pray loudly so that others may notice you. No, that's, that's not uh, uh, true righteousness. Matthew 7 is addressing self-righteousness. And I'd like to read a description, a definition of what self-righteousness is. It's a feeling or display or moral superiority derived from a sense that one's beliefs, actions, or affiliations are of greater virtue than those of the average person. When I had to stop and really, you're being self-righteous. And I I had to stop and really just think, okay, how, how often do I judge people? When do I judge them? I think we judge people more often than we actually think. And we kind of justify why we judge. We may judge certain political personalities or parties, but we, like, we justify it because what they're doing is wrong. And, uh, but, but is it bordering on being critical? And that's what Jesus is trying to address. He's trying to address a critical spirit. He says, don't judge. Don't be like the Pharisees. The Pharisees were hypocritical. They were self-righteous. They were arrogant. Their motives were not to help other people, but to condemn them. Jesus is rebuking this self-righteous, hasty, unmerciful, prejudiced, critical spirit. It's the opposite of someone who is poor in spirit or meek. Life that this could possibly, you don't, you don't want to live your life, identify in your life that this could possibly happen and see to it that you can respond in the right way. We are not superior to any other person. God has not designed us to be that way. When you have a high view of yourself, you have a low view of others. When we make judgments, we should also be aware that we will also be judged, not, by other, not just by others, but by God himself. Isn't that a scary thought? If we choose to judge other people, God will judge us. Don't worry about other man judging you. Be more concerned about the God of the universe judging your actions. Judging puts ourselves in the place of God. When we judge, we are putting ourselves in God's place. He is the ultimate one who will do all the judging one day. 
We are not the judge. We are the ones who will be judged. Jesus is saying that we should resist that to judge. He doesn't want us. Jesus is not saying that his followers should never judge. He doesn't want us to become these moral zombies who just kind of, okay, Lord, I won't do this. I will do that. No, in scripture, there are actually portions where we are commanded to, to judge. In 1 Corinthians 5, Paul rebukes the Corinthian church for not judging sin. And in Matthew 18, Jesus tells his disciples to confront sin. So it's not to say that we, we don't judge things. What we need to be careful of is, is that we don't become judgmental, that we don't become self-righteous or critical. Jesus is saying that self-righteousness leads to a faulty view of ourselves. He uses the illustration of a, of a piece of sawdust in your, your friend's eye and then a log of wood in your own eye. Jesus says the person's eye. If we first, and then you can clear out the speck in another person's eye. If we become critical and self-righteous, we lose perspective of things in our own lives. We might not see sin as bad as, as what it actually is. And Jesus is encouraging us to deal with ourselves first. He has a thought with this portion, uh, a portion of scripture. When it says, don't judge others, it means that you are going after someone. Why don't you instruct someone to go after you? I'm trying to pull the positive out of this. Why don't we try and find other people to come and speak into our lives? Not, well, judge us based on the word of God. We, we are not called to live our lives in isolation as Christians. God calls us to live in community with other believers. It's, it may be very quick for us to go and judge other people, but why don't we bring people around our own lives and say, hey, listen, I struggle with this in my life. Won't you please help me? It's a blind spot. You know, don't be too harsh. Speak to me in the love of the Lord. You know, don't be too harsh at times, but I need help. We, we should call out to others. We should be more concerned about that log that is in our eyes than the speck in others. In verse six, it goes on to say, do not give dogs what is holy and do not throw your pearls before pigs lest they trample them underfoot and turn to attack you. Again, this seemed quite, uh, I was like, how does this fit into the portion of scripture and, and what Jesus is trying to say here? When Jesus is talking about pigs and dogs, these were uh, unclean animals that squandered after uh, and scavenged after food. So perhaps Jesus was addressing that, that which is holy and, and, and illustrated in, in the object of pearls. Pearls were very, um, were, were, were very expensive in those days. Yes, don't take what dogs and the pigs, they'll just trample them. So Jesus could have been saying, yes, don't take what is, is good and what's holy and, and give it to someone who has no regard for it, who just says, I don't believe in you. He may have been talking about the Pharisees or the Gentiles or those who, who did not believe in God. But if I look at this portion of scripture, I think that what Jesus is also saying is that if, if we treat others, if we judge others, and we point out the speck in their eye, they're going to attack us. When we do bring correction 
And when we do try and bring, um, let's say, uh, God's truth, they will respond by attacking and trampling on the goodness that we give. Have you ever been in a, a discussion, husbands and wives, it may have happened to you, where if you, you try and point out something in someone, uh, your, your partner's life, but you know that there's stuff in your life, it, it doesn't become a very good discussion of, of, of the truth. You know, you start pointing out each other's faults. There's no acceptance of, of, of the truth that you are trying to share. And I think that this is what this portion is also is saying, that if you are gonna judge, if you're self-righteous, if you're critical, if you do go to other people and then say, listen, my, my friend, I just wanna bring to your attention there's something in your life that needs some working on. They're not gonna respond well. They can say, don't, don't speak to me. Why don't you deal with the stuff that's in your life first? And Jesus is speaking into that that critical spirit, without addressing our own faults, if we attempt to correct other people by attacking their faults and weaknesses, they in turn will attack us. And then the last thought in this portion is that Christians are not called to be judges. We are called to be witnesses. This means that when Christians consider or call something wrong or right, it's not because they have independently or adjudicated to define and witness, but because God has done so, and that they are merely testifying and witnessing to God's verdict and judgment. Jesus is saying in that last little bit there that we shouldn't, we, we should uh, be confident and have boldness in the fact that God is the one who directs us. God is the one who puts out the word and, and that word directs our lives. And when we respond to that, if we do have to, let's say, judge something in that sense, then we, we respond as a witness. We refer back to the word of God, and that gives us the authority to do that. Now, with this portion of scripture that, that we've read today, and if I take it from verse one through to 12, now I'm gonna try and paraphrase what Jesus is, is saying to us. Don't be self-complex with a superior, superiority conference, a, a complex. Rather be like God who has loved us like a good father, a generous and a kind father. And in light of all of this, you now have the emotional strength to happily apply the golden rule. We love because we have experienced love. I thought also that with Jesus getting to this portion in the Sermon on the Mount, I wonder if people actually thought, Jesus, why are you, why are you coming back to this thing on judgment? You've shared so much already on what it means to be humble and meek and poor in spirit. And then he deals with this do not judge, do not be critical. And I think Jesus is just trying to reiterate that we need the Father. We need to understand the goodness of our Heavenly Father. We need to have, we've pursued of how amazing He is. We need to pursue Him like we've pursued everything. We haven't pursued anything else in our lives. We need to ask. We need to seek. We need to knock. And when we get to that place of knowing God as our Heavenly Father, we won't judge. We won't 
be critical. But I want to read 1 John 4, 18. Therefore, there is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. For fear has to do with he first loved us. This has not been perfected in love. We love because he first loved us. If anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. For he who does not love his brother, whom he, ha- whom he has seen, cannot love God, whom he has not seen. And this commandment we have from him, whoever loves God must also love his brother. Perfect love drives out all fear. I believe that God is wanting us to know today that he is a good father, that he absolutely wants you to keep asking, to keep pursuing him because he desires that you understand his heart towards you. He has called you to be a son and a daughter. There's nothing that you have done in your life that could disappoint God. And I want to probably do that will make him love you any less.